All right. Well, good morning, River City. My name is Brandon. I'm one of the pastors here. Grateful to get to worship with you guys this morning, open God's Word with you together. Uh, if you are new or visiting, just want to say welcome. Glad you're with us. If there's anything that we can do to help serve you or get connected to the community, we'd love to be able to do that. Come find me or Becky or somebody else who look, looks like they know what's going on around here. We, we'd love to get to know you and serve you. So. We're in the middle of a series this fall, taking a look at the fruit of the Spirit, uh, which is uh, found in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23. And in that passage, what it does is it describes the kind of transformed life that increasingly characterizes the life of, of a Christian as being evidenced by the, the characteristics of love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And and from the beginning, what we've tried to highlight is, is that the, the fruit of the Spirit is not merely some list of virtues we're just supposed to be trying hard to attain, but instead they're, they're actually things that we cannot produce in and of ourselves in the first place. And instead, the fruit of the Spirit is something that is supernaturally produced in us um, if and when the gospel takes deep root in our hearts. In other words, believing and responding to the truths of the gospel, the, the truths about who Jesus is and all that he has done, that's the one thing that not only can, but actually will inevitably produce the, the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. That's why at River City, the very first part of our vision is that we want to be a church that's growing in the gospel because, because what we believe is that the gospel is not just the thing that saves us and makes us right with God, but believing the truths of the gospel, continuing to come back to the person and the work of Jesus on our behalf. That's how we grow. That's how we mature. That's, that's how we become more and more like Jesus. And so as we examine our hearts and our lives over the course of this series and see where we may or may not be characterized by these uh, characteristics, these uh, fruit of the Spirit. The goal is not to try to get you to, to just buckle down and work harder, to try to be more loving, to try to be more gracious, to try to, to be more patient or whatever it is. Instead, the, the invitation is to ask ourselves, what is it about the gospel? What is it about the person and the work of Jesus that hasn't yet taken deep root in my heart? That's causing this not to be produced in me. What is it about who he is and all that he has done for me that I need to spend time dwelling on and allowing to take deep root in my heart so that the fruit of the Spirit is what is naturally produced in me? We examined a couple of weeks ago the very first fruit of the Spirit we saw as love, and we saw how it's only when we encounter and dwell on God's costly, sacrificial, selfless, agape love towards us that we'll begin to love Him and to love others in a way that's not uh, based on perceived worthiness or reciprocal benefit or reciprocity or, or only when it's easy, but instead will be characterized by a kind of love for others and love for God when it's hard and when it's costly and even when it requires sacrifice. We saw as well the, the following week how it's only when we see the gravity of our sin and, and how much we needed a Savior. And yet at the same time, we, we are reminded about how greatly Jesus has met our need and the eternal hope that he has secured for us on the cross that we'll be able to have a kind of deep and durable, lasting joy that's not rooted in our circumstances or the experience of blessing, but instead is rooted in a relationship with the blesser himself and a confidence that comes from knowing him and and last week, as we saw how it's only when we realize that at the height of our rebellion, when we were God's enemies, that God came in the person of Jesus to make peace with us. It's only when we see that, that, that we'll be able to not only have a deep kind of inner peace, 
in the midst of any and every situation, but will also be motivated and empowered to pursue a kind of real, costly, sometimes relational peace with others, even those who are opposed to us, because we see that God's done that for us, towards us. And so this week as we study, we're going to continue to see how in addition to love, joy, and peace, the next fruit of the Spirit is patience, and that will inevitably and increasingly characterize us when the good news of the gospel, the person and the work of Jesus on our behalf, continues to take deep root in our hearts. And so with that in mind, let's pray. We'll dive into our study this week. God, thanks for your word. Thanks that you have given it to us so that we might know you and so that we might be transformed by you. And so, God, we ask humbly this morning as we come to study, would you, would you meet us in our need for you, in our need to be changed by you, God? Would you empower me to, to speak and to teach what is right and good and with power? And, and God, would you enable us to hear and respond rightly to your word? And so we're dependent on you this morning as we come. And so we ask, God, that for our, for our good, so that you might produce a, a patience in us that reflects you, and for your great glory, would you meet us as we study this morning? We look forward to that. Amen. Amen. Well, like I mentioned this morning, we're taking a look at the spiritual fruit of patience. And, and I know, I think all of us would say that we, we want to be patient people, right? I, I think that we would all think that we'd all say that we want that. I think we all, we all might say that there, there may or may not be some level of room for growth, right, in that area in our lives. Maybe it's just me. Maybe you're doing totally good. But I have a feeling that there might be some room for growth in that, in, a, in all of us. And yet we live in a culture where, where, where growing in patience is almost seen as a liability, right? You see, you, you have to be the first to report on something. You have to be the first to have an opinion on something. Otherwise, you're just already seen as irrelevant. You just don't need to waste your time anymore. Companies, they, they keep racing to figure out how to get things to us faster and faster and faster. I mean, we used to go to the movie store to go, literally go pick out a DVD to go watch at home. Then that was too slow, so we got red boxes on every corner, right? And then that was just... Not fast enough, so now we, you can just download a movie in a couple of minutes right from your couch, which is great, right? But sometimes that's not even fast enough for it, right? Your Netflix stream starts to buffer, and you're just like furiously texting your spouse, like, whatever it takes, like, we need to upgrade. Like, I don't, I don't care what it takes. I will, dig, I will dig the hole for the fiber cable myself. We need, make it happen. Let's do this, right? I don't know about you. I grew up, or, uh, if you could download an MP3 in less than a day, that was like incredible, right? Now it's like you wait three seconds for your Netflix stream to buffer and you're like thinking about ending somebody's life, right? And you're like, who do I need to take, who, who needs to pay for this, right? Like we, we need to fix this now. I mean, I don't know about you, I don't even consider order anything online unless it has two-day shipping, right? It's like, it's, unless, it's too, unless it can be here within two days, I'm out, right? I don't have time, right? It's too much. I'm jealous of the people who live close enough to the Amazon Fulfillment Center, they can get stuff like the same day, right, or next day. I read recently, they're testing out drone delivery, two-hour drone delivery. They will literally stick your package in a drone, drop it off in your backyard in two hours. I'm like, who do I need to email to make that happen in my life, right? Like... That's, that is the kind of service that I need, right? I mean, I'll be honest with you, in the middle of the pandemic, Amazon was taking like a week to get stuff to me. I'll shoot straight with you. That tested me way more than it should have, right? Like significantly was more difficult for me than it needed to be, right? And so I think we, we all wish that we were more patient, and yet we live in this world that basically encourages us to refuse to wait for anything, whether that's an Amazon delivery or information, or more importantly, just the progress, the development of people. 
And it's in the midst of this tension that I think we see the Apostle Paul in Galatians 5 listing patience as a fruit, as an evidence of what it looks like when, when you know Jesus and when you're transformed by him. And I think there's an invitation for us this morning to examine our own hearts and our lives for evidence revealing whether or not we've been, we're being more transformed by the world around us rather than God's spirit within us. And, and I just want to say this on the front end before we even begin to take a look at at the kind of patience the Bible calls us to and, and, and shows us. The good news is that over and over and over and over again, from the beginning to the end, the Bible reminds us that the God that we serve is patient with us. In the midst of our failings, in the midst of our impatience, God is patient with us. Psalm 86, verse 15 reads this way. It says, But you, Lord, are compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, that's patient, abounding in love and faithfulness. I think we've got to start there because we're going to need it as we dive into patience this morning. I think it's one of the hardest ones as we think about evaluating our own lives. So, so as we begin, we want to start by just asking, how does the Bible define and describe the spiritual fruit of patience? Well, when you take a look at what the Bible has to say about patience, it's used in a number of different contexts, but, but in general, it basically falls into one of two main categories. And the first is patience in the context of endurance in the context of difficult circumstances. So endurance in difficult circumstances, or secondly, it's often referred to as forbearance in the context of difficult relationships. And so as we look at how the Bible defines patience, what you're going to see is that patience is kind of like a twofold definition. It, it's, it's not only that you are forgiving and gracious to difficult people, but that you also persevere and trust God in the midst of difficult circumstances. And I think it's only when we see both aspects of how the Bible talks about patience that we'll really understand uh, what this really means and what it looks like to pursue it. So Let's first take a look at what the Bible has to say about patience in the context of enduring difficult circumstances. And this would in things in, include things in Scripture, whether it's persecution or suffering or, or just difficulties or trials in life. It could be being treated unjustly or just plain life being hard. In Romans chapter 12, uh, verse 12, Paul urges Christians, he says, Be joyful in hope, be patient in the midst of affliction, be faithful in prayer. Again, in Colossians chapter 1, verse 10 and 11, he prays that Christians would live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in good work, growing in the knowledge of God. He says, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you might have great endurance and patience. Revelation chapter 1, verse 9, the apostle Paul writes, uh, in the midst of exile on an island in the middle of the Mediterranean, he refers to himself as your brother and companion in the suffering and the kingdom and patient endurance that are ours in Jesus. In Revelation chapter 3.10, just a few chapters later, Jesus himself, he affirms the, the church in the ancient city of Philadelphia who had, in the midst of intense persecution, he says, kept his command to endure patiently. In James, in chapter 5, verse 7 and 8, he says this, Be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and the spring rains. He says, you too, be patient, stand firm. That's endure, he says, because the Lord's coming is near. Now, 
When you, when you read those verses, what you see is that the, the common theme throughout them is that endurance is connected with the idea of patience because endurance is a key part of patience because patience is not merely about being able to wait for something, but it's about learning to press in and keep going in the midst of the waiting. It's about remaining steadfastly committed to God and to his purposes in the midst of the waiting or the suffering or the trials or the injustice. First Peter chapter 4, 19, in the context of suffering, he says, so then those who suffer according to God's will should commit themselves to their faith with creator, he says, and continue to do good. Patience isn't just about waiting for God to come, it's about continuing to do good in the midst of the things that are difficult. I think a lot of times what happens is that, is that we settle for the counterfeit version of patience, which just looks a lot like apathy. Right? We're, we're in the middle of difficult situations and we're just like, I'm out. I, I need to check out of this situation for a while. Right? It's not changing. It's not getting better. I can't see the end. I need to just check out for a little while. But that's a counterfeit kind of patience. It, lo- it might look like patience on the outside, but what's really happening on the inside is that you're just giving up until the situation changes rather than pressing on and pressing into what God is doing in the middle of the waiting you see, it doesn't produce a kind of perseverance that honors God like James chapter 1 tells us. Instead, apathy just kind of produces a laziness and a, and, a, and a lack of desire to press into what God is doing in the midst of things. And it doesn't honor God and it doesn't actually produce in us what trials are meant to produce in us. And so I think patience and endurance, it can be really hard even when things are going well, let alone in the midst of, the, of suffering. And I'm so thankful that the Bible doesn't just gloss over that reality like oh yeah patience is super easy so just like make it happen right it's totally fine nobody ever has issues with that right you're weird because you're having trouble no that's not how the bible talks about it in fact one of the things i'm most thankful for is the psalms because i think the psalmists just they're so honest with god right they're just honest with god about what they're feeling and struggling with psalm 13 1 2 in the midst of suffering in the midst of, of being opposed the psalmist writes he says how long lord will you for, will you forget me forever how long will you hide your face from me how long must i wrestle with my thoughts day after day And have sorrow in my heart, he says, how long will my enemies triumph over me? See, patience and endurance in the midst of trials, the Bible's not saying that, it doesn't mean that you just need to grit everything and bear it, just like suck it up, God's in control, I don't have emotions, right? I don't feel anything, I'm not worried about anything. That's That's not the kind of patience and endurance the Bible's talking about. Instead, patience and endurance means that we're able to come to God in the midst of our confusion, in the midst of our frustration, in the midst of feeling alone and feeling overwhelmed, knowing that God actually cares about us and, more importantly, that he is the one who has what we need to be able to endure, to be able to persevere in the midst of difficulty. And so the first way the Bible talks about patience is in the context of enduring difficult circumstances. But the second way that the Bible talks about patience is in the context of relationships with people. And I think we can all just shoot straight and be honest with each other, right? People are dumb, right? And they drive you insane, right? That just happens, right? There, are, there are, will always be people who you just, just make, just cause you to lose your mind, right? They, maybe they rub you the wrong way. Maybe they frustrate you in some different way. But people are hard. People are difficult, right? The, the Greek word that's being translated as patience, it literally means to suffer long. That is for sure how it feels sometimes, right? When you are trying to be patient with someone, doesn't it feel like you are suffering for a long time? You see, but, but that word long-suffering, it doesn't mean that you just put up with people for a long time. It means that you do it without giving up or without retaliating, without getting bitter inside. 
You see, that's very often not the way that we do it, right? Patience or long-suffering, it has a lot to do with how much you're able to bear or carry. It's about, so much time it's about carrying the burden of others, whether it's their sin against you or just their, their faults or inadequacies. And that's why when you run out of patience, you, you often say, I just can't bear it anymore, right? You can't carry the weight of being patient anymore. And what we'll see as we read in the New Testament especially is that patience is often connected with bearing bearing with others in the midst of their sinful actions towards you or just in the midst of their faults and their shortcomings. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 14 uh, says, We urge you, brothers and sisters, warn those who are idle and disruptive. Encourage the disheartened. Help the weak. He says, be patient with everyone. Proverbs 19, 11 says, A person's wisdom yields patience. It's to one's glory to overlook an offense. 2 Timothy 4.2, Paul here urging Timothy, he says, preach the word, be prepared in season and out of season, correct and rebuke and encourage. Here's the key, he says, with great patience, with careful instruction. Ephesians 4.1 and 2, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you, Paul says, live a life worthy of the calling you've received. Verse 2, be completely humble and gentle, be patient, he says, bearing with one another in love. Colossians 3, 12 and 13, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, he says, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience. Verse 13, bear with each other and forgive one another. If any of you has a grievance against someone, forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. You see, whether it's in the context of, of simply being mistreated or, or someone uh, just putting up with what others say or do or fail to say or do, the grievances we have amongst others, the kind of patience the Bible calls us to in the midst of relationships is marked by, it's characterized by forbearance and forgiveness. You see, in fact, that same word that's translated as patience is, is translated often in many translations as forbearance. Forbearance means putting up with the things that other people do or don't do or you wish that they would do. It means, it means that you make an effort to bear with other people, even when they irritate or annoy you or even when they sin against you. It, forbearance is about choosing to forgive people rather than to hold grudges and to get bitter. It's about choosing to overlook something that was hurtful or unkind rather than fighting back with harsh words or trying to get even. And I don't know about you, but, but patience and forbearance, for me, it's a lot harder with people than it is in the middle of situations. Situations, I feel like I can be like, all right, God, I just need to trust you with this, right? But with people, people are harder, <laughs> right? People are harder for me. I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that when I'm not believing the gospel, I tend to worship the idol of power. And I think that if people would just do what I told them to do, then things would go better. If they just take my advice, if they just follow my suggestions, then everything would work out as it should be because I am super smart, right? That's a joke. I'm really not that smart, right? Like, I want people to advance, to grow on my own timetables at the rate that I think that they should. And oftentimes what can happen is when I'm not believing the gospel is that I tend to, I can, or when I feel I get ignored, I get frustrated or angry with people. Instead of loving in love, bearing with people, pressing in, coming alongside them in the midst of their choices to do whatever they're going to do, instead of doing that, I'm tempted to just disengage. Hey, you don't want to take my advice? Fine. You're on your own. See how it goes for you, Right? 
And on the outside, sometimes that kind of looks like patience, right? Hey, I'm not trying to force my will. I'm just letting them do what they want to do, right? That's not really patience because what's going on in my heart is I'm just choosing to disengage and I'm getting bitter rather than loving people and serving them in the midst of difficulty. You see, real patience is about actively bearing the burden of another against you because you actually care for them. You see, indifference, just disengaging, it's a result of not caring at all. And indifference is actually the opposite of patience. You see, patience, anger is not the opposite of patience. You can be patient and be angry at the same time, right? See, indifference is the opposite of patience. Indifference is about choosing to just not care. You see, patience involves caring at a cost to yourself oftentimes. See, the question is, is how do we choose patience and forbearance instead of anger or retaliation or indifference? And the gospel roots there, the, what the Bible says over and over is that forbearing patience with others is rooted in seeing our own sin and our own weaknesses and God's forbearance and forgiveness of us. Colossians 3.13, we read, it says, forgive as the Lord has forgiven you. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 21 through 24, he, he reminds Christians of their call to graciously bear the burden of being treated unjustly. He says to them, to this you were called because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his steps, for he committed no sin and no deceit was found in his mouth. And when they hurled their insults at him, he did not retaliate. And when he suffered, he made no threats. Instead, he entrusted himself to him who judges justly. Verse 24, he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness for it's by his wounds that you've been healed. I think most clearly Paul writes in 1 Timothy 1 verses 15 and 16. He says, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his immense patience. You see, in other words, what Paul is saying there is that the way patience is produced in you is not when you try hard to be patient. There's no amount of gritting it that, that creates a patience in you. Because patience, again, is not just a willingness to not retaliate. It's about a willingness to bear the burden of others, to bear the offense of others because you, in love for them, you long for their good. You see, Paul says that the way that that characterizes you was when you realize the measure of grace and mercy and patience that God has shown you. You see how patient God has been with you. You see how long-suffering he has been with you. You see how he has forbeared his, uh, his, his forbearance with you. You see his graciousness and his mercy extended towards you when you did not deserve it. You see, what happens is we all need to keep being reminded of how patient God has been with us. When I'm frustrated with others, when, when I am let down by others, there's an, there's an invitation for me to be reminded how I have done not only the same thing to others, but how I have done it to God himself. And yet I see God's steadfast patience with me. I see, I see his gracious blessing and presence in my life in spite of myself. I, I see his merciful forbearance in not giving me what I deserve. I see his endurance on my behalf in the person of Jesus for me. 
You see, and when you see that, when you keep coming back to that, when the gospel takes deep root in your heart, what happens is your heart melts. And the pride that so often is the, is the thing that produces an impatience with others starts to melt because you start to see how much you needed saving. You see how much grace and mercy you have been shown. What happens is you start to look at others, even those who drive you crazy, with a kind of compassion and graciousness that gets worked out in a willingness to suffer long with people. And a willingness to bear with them graciously. And and a willingness to extend mercy instead of judgment. And a willingness to overlook offenses. You see, because you see that God's done that for you. And he's done it for you to a degree you could not possibly imagine doing for others. See, it's, only, it's, it's to the degree that you see how much God's graciousness and patience and mercy towards you has been manifest in your life. To the degree you see that will be the degree to which you are characterized by patience with others. And patience in the midst of difficult circumstances. You see what happens, the Bible says that when we're, when we're not patient with others, when patience doesn't characterize us in our lives, it reveals that we have never known or have forgotten God's patience with us. That's what the parable of the unmerciful servant in Matthew chapter 18 talks about. And we don't have time to read the whole thing this morning, but, but basically Jesus tells this parable, and, and what happens is that there's a servant who, who owes a huge debt to his master, a debt that he could not possibly repay. And he comes to his master and he says, be patient. I'll pay it back. The master knows he could never do it. But instead of demanding payment, what the master does is he forgives the debt. What see happens is that this, this servant, he, he, he goes out just the very same day and, and instead he finds a, another servant who owes him money. Instead of showing mercy and grace and patience to that person, he demands that they pay him back immediately. He demands, he demands that, the, that they, they give him what they owe him in, in the moment and they can't, so he throws them in jail. And the point of the whole parable is that Jesus is saying is that so often we relate to, to others in a way that is in direct contrast with which the way that God has related to us. How well that the parable depicts how impatient we are with others. We ignore God's extreme, extravagant patience with us. We discipline our children out of anger while God disciplines us out of love. We, we are eager to punish the person who, who, has, who has provoked us while God is eager to forgive we're eager to exercise our authority and judgment while God is eager to exercise his love and grace. You see, every day God bears with us patiently. And every day we are tempted to be impatient with our friends and our neighbors and our families and our coworkers. And our faults and our failures before God are so much greater. They are so much greater than anything we have in the midst of our relationships with people. And God calls us to graciously bear with the weaknesses of others, with the offenses of others towards us, forgiving them, forbearing them, overlooking those things in the same way that he has done that for us. See, and it's only when you remember that reality, when you keep coming back to that, that what will happen is what gets produced in you is a kind of graciousness and a patience towards others because you see how much you have received it. You see, remembering ourselves about God's patient, reminding ourselves about God's patient forgiveness of us is a big part of what we're doing every week when we take communion together. We're, we're reminding ourselves that instead of giving us what we deserved, 
God was merciful and patient with us, so much so that he sent his own son to live and to die for us so that instead of receiving the just judgment we deserve, we might receive forgiveness. Communion, it, it doesn't make you right with God. It doesn't change your status or your standing with him. Instead, it's an opportunity for us to be reminded about the person and the work of Jesus who in love and in patience bore our sin for us. And so as we sing and as we worship and as we remember the gospel together in song this morning, if you've put your trust in him, if you have received his forgiveness, then whenever you are ready, take communion. If you missed the, the communion packets on the way in, there's a, they're at the door and on your way out. But this morning, if you've not yet trusted in Jesus, if you've not re- received his forgiveness, then I would encourage you, hold off on taking communion. I want you to know you're welcome here. You are welcome in this community. But instead of receiving communion, I'd encourage you to receive Jesus' offer of forgiveness. Romans chapter 2, verse 4, it highlights the reality that God's kindness with us, his, his patience towards us is not meant to, to just lead us to continually, inevitably do whatever we want. But instead, it's meant to lead us to repentance as we see his grace towards us, unmerited, undeserved, leads us to, to turning our lives over to him. And so the only way that you bear the spiritual fruit of patience is to see and respond to God's overwhelming patience with you. And so receive him before you receive communion. So this morning, as we remember the gospel together in song, as, we, as we've done it in God's word, I encourage you, talk with God. Be honest with him. Maybe there's some evidence of of a lack of the transforming patience in your own heart that you are seeing this morning. Be honest with God about that. Ask him to renew and transform you. Ask him to, to show you what is it about his patience with you that you need to be reminded about, that you need to keep coming back to and dwelling on so that what might get produced in you is a kind of patience and graciousness with others, a kind of steadfastness and endurance in the midst of difficult situations. That's for your good and for his glory. Let's pray. God, we're, we're, we're coming together this morning and we're grateful. Jesus, grateful for your word, grateful for you, grateful that you would uh, lead us in our study this morning. God, and we just want to come and, and first we want to just admit that we are an impatient people. God, in, in, the, in the face of your incredible patience towards us, God, we are so often marked by a refusal to wait on you and a refusal to be patient and gracious with others. And Jesus, we come before you this morning needing to repent of that. God, we pray that you would be good and kind to remind us, God, of how gracious and patient and long-suffering you have been with us. Help us to see, Jesus, how much you have put up with with us. Help us to see how you did that, not not in bitterness, not, not, not in envy. You did it out of love for us because you longed for our good and you cared deeply for us. Help us to treat others that same way. Help us to be characterized by a patience and a pressing in in the midst of difficulty and a, and a concern for the good of others rather than a counterfeit patience of disengagement. God, help us to love others and to bear with one another in love because you have done that for us. God, for our good, for your great glory, we ask that you would cause that to be true of us. Amen.